Well, I want to dig a little deeper in his love. Dig a little deeper in his love. I want to dig a little deeper in the storehouse of his love. Thank you for joining us on the Good News Bible Podcast. I'm Jamie Baker with Jay Dixon. We invite you to open your Bibles and study along with us as we dig into the good news of the gospel message. Hey, Jay, it's good to be back with you, buddy. Um, the last time we were together doing these podcasts, uh, we spent about three sessions talking about the kingdom of God. And so now we're back and we're going to move into trying to answer the question who is Jesus? And that's a that's a pretty hefty, weighty, um, voluminous question. You know, that's going to be something that's going to take us some time to answer. And it'll we'll probably spend another at least two or three of these podcasts trying to work on that question. But uh, I want to start with something that John wrote at the very end of his book, the last verse of the Gospel of John. John said. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And so that gives us just a yeah, kind of a, a little insight that John had about just how much Jesus did and just what kind of a, um, a, a magnificent uh, existence he had and, and everything about it. So for us to try to answer the question, who is Jesus in in two or three or ten or twenty sessions is really going to be uh, a, a tall order, but we're going to to dive into this and, and hit certain points along the way. And when we do that, uh, that's really going to be the starting point for someone uh, else to to pick up the study and to dig into this on their own, because there's no way that we can possibly answer that question in just this short a period of time. But it's a it. We'll discuss some things and, and have a, a discussion and maybe give people at least a, a head start on answering that question for themselves. And really, that's what it it comes down to, is, is people having to answer that question for themselves. Who is Jesus? And what does he mean to me? And what kind of relationship am I going to have with him? So um, with that introduction, I'll go ahead and let you say anything that you've got to say. Well, no one in the history of the world has been put under the microscope more than Jesus. Um, some of the most compelling evidence in my estimation uh, that just speaks to the the power of Jesus is the fact that here we are some 2,000 years later and we're talking about him this morning. And as you just pointed out, there's no way that we're going to be able to exhaust, uh, even begin to exhaust all the things that we could say about Jesus. And, and even 2,000 years later, Jesus is still turning the world upside down. And uh, that can't really be said about any other, even if you don't accept Jesus as as Lord and Savior, you can't really think of another historical character who continues to impact some 2,000 years later. Uh, it's, just, it's just not there. You've had individuals who may impact a certain century or period of time, but Jesus is still turning the world upside down. And I think about a statement, Pilate, a question that he asked in Matthew twenty-seven, twenty-two: what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called the Christ? And as you were pointing out just a moment ago, this is a question that, that everyone has to deal with at some point. You, you must do something with Jesus. You can reject him. You can ridicule him. You can accept him. You can conjure up your own idea of who he is. Uh, but you have to do something with Jesus because at the very least, he was a man who lived around 
2,000 years ago, and he turned this world upside down with his teaching, the way he lived, the things that he did. And there was just always something different about this man that was even different from the biblical heroes, Elijah and these other individuals. So uh, we all are going to have to answer that question at some point. Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, I know that I've had friends who were, were Jewish in the past, and one of the things that I always found it intriguing to ask him, you know, is what's your, what's your stance on him? What do, what do you make of Jesus? And I've gotten assorted answers and various answers. And, um, you know, it's just, but the thing that's, that's interesting to me is no one denies his existence. No one denies the fact that Jesus is real, uh, at least from the people that I've spoken to personally. I'm sure that there are some people who would deny his existence or say that he wasn't uh, a real person and that he wasn't. But uh, as you mentioned, there's there's been so much um, inspection and discussion and uh, impact that he delivered that it's that it's hard for me to even fathom that stance that somebody would say that Jesus wasn't uh, a real figure. And part of what we're going to do this morning is to try to to uh, unveil the fact that he was indeed a true individual, but also that he was who he said he was. Um, in Luke. Three in Luke three, and the first couple of verses there, Luke three, beginning verse one and two, we're told we're given some information. This is one of the things that's that's fantastic about Luke's writing is is he's so detailed, meticulous in giving uh, timestamps and things like that. That it's things that we can actually go back and compare to secular history and say yes, this this aligns with what was what was going on there. And so in Luke 3, verses 1 and 2, Luke tells us, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of Iturea, and the region of uh, Trachonitis, and Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. And so... John sets the stage here by giving us some very definitive uh, timestamps. And so we can go back to history and we can look and say that, yes, Tiberius Caesar was indeed a Caesar, and Pontius Pilate was indeed the governor of Judea, and Herod was indeed the Tetrarch of Galilee and his uh, brother Philip. And you know, we can go back to these individuals and say, yes, these people did exist and they did exist in these capacities and so it gives some credibility to what Luke is saying here and what all the gospel writers have said here and then down in verse 21 um, we go down to um, uh, well I'll, I'll talk about that I'll talk about that later but um, I, I want to to say just one thing before we go on and any further in this is that kind of in the same vein as what Luke was saying there, that these things happened in the date and times that you can mark against these individuals. We're still marking date and time relative to Jesus. Right. And both of the uh, Julian and the Gregorian calendars are referenced relative to his existence. They're referenced relative to him. And, you know, everybody's familiar with the terms B.C. and A.D., and, you know, B.C. is before Christ, and 
it's interesting to me that even the the AD is the uh, Anno Domini is really an abbreviated form of the longer phrase, which is Anno Domini Nostri Jesu Christi, which is uh, translated in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so our calendars that we use today are marked relative to the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that, I just find that that fascinating that most of the world recognizes the Julian and the Gregorian calendars as being valid, and yet they're marked relative to Jesus. And so, I mean, that's just a very small thing, but it, it goes to the point of what we've been saying all along, that Jesus was real, that Jesus was uh, an individual who walked the earth, and that he... Um, did leave his mark that still is with us even in a non-spiritual sense. The The way we mark our calendars, the way we mark our time is still uh, measured relative to his existence. It's interesting. <clears throat> we go back to what we talked about with the kingdom. And in one of our studies, we we kind of noted some significant dates in Roman history and in connection with that prophecy from Daniel and how we were getting very close to a certain time uh, that fulfilled this, was going to be the fulfillment of this prophecy that Daniel had spoken of in regards to Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And and just looking at that again from a historical standpoint, you see, you see everything adding up and you begin to arrive at this time period where, where Jesus, this infant, Jesus is going to be born. And one of the greatest testimonies to me about about who Jesus is, because there were so many estimates about who he, exactly who he was. There were all kinds of different accusations and labels. Some of them were compliments. Some of them were uh, just very derogatory toward him. Uh, but one of the greatest evidences to me was even even those who really, we could say, hated him and despised him still had to acknowledge some things about him. And we see that from his birth. When Herod... Herod, he comes, he hears that this child has been born. He he's familiar with what the Old Testament prophecies said about this this coming Savior, and he was going to be king, and he felt threatened by that. And, and there's just all, all kinds of of different examples of that just throughout history, even in the various world religions that that we see. There's some type of position or view that's taken about Jesus, and in Buddhism, he's considered to be the wise and enlightened man who taught things similar to the Buddha. In Islam, he's a, the true prophet sent by God, to, but superseded by Muhammad, Jehovah's Witness. He's God's first creation, the archangel Michael. Uh, Unitarian Universalism, he's a great teacher, a faith healer, incarnation of God's love. So, And you could just go down the list, but the point being there is that regardless of what world religion that one may ascribe to, Jesus has some place in it somewhere, and there's some type of opinion about him, and you just can't ignore a man like that. There was something special about this man. Yeah, and I'm glad that you used the word uh, evidences, because when you're when you're studying something like this, there's there's two things that you could look at, and you could look at internal evidence, which is going to be the bulk of what we look at. I mean, this is the, the Good News Bible podcast. You know, it makes sense for us to look into the internal evidence that the Scriptures offer um, to support and substantiate who Jesus is. But there's also the external evidence like you were referencing there. And, and I'm glad that you pointed out those in those other world religions because we can look at some other figures who were not even religious people per se 
and find some indication that Jesus was real based on the historical things that were written by them. You know, you can look internally at, at passages like First uh, Timothy two five when Paul wrote to Timothy and he references him as the man Jesus Christ, and so he was definitely um, a, a person, a, a person of flesh who was being referenced there. And you know, in Acts two when Peter uh, preaches that great sermon on the on the day of Pentecost, he says that this Jesus whom you crucified, and so he was a, a fleshly individual who was put on a cross. And so you can look at those internal kinds of things and say that those things are evidence in favor of him being an actual person, an actual figure. But if you go outside of that, um, there's a historian, a Jewish historian named Josephus, and his name uh, goes by the name Josephus Flavius or Flavius Josephus. And Josephus was was a Jew, but he was adopted by Romans, and he was adopted by um, Roman royal families, and so he had both the the resources and the freedom to record history from a Jewish standpoint. Remember, Judea was a Roman province at this point, and so for them, they had no problem with him recording the history uh, of those people. But he also had the resources and to be able to. Uh, take the time and investment in, in uh, capturing all of these things. And one of the things that Josephus wrote uh, about him, and he wrote this, in, this was actually the second mention in his book of Antiquities, uh, book 20. He wrote this, uh, he says, uh, making reference to, uh, in, that, in that writing there, he makes reference to James, the church leader in Jerusalem, and identifies him as James, the brother of Jesus, who is called Christ. Now, Josephus was was a diehard Jew. He the, he has no uh, nothing that I can see in his writings makes me believe that he ever became a believer in Jesus. That he uh, was ever that, but he's a uh, tries to capture the history in that. So, Josephus writes this uh, about James, the church leader in Jerusalem, being the refer- uh, the brother of Jesus, who is called. Messiah. There's another Roman historian named Tacitus, and Tacitus wrote that neither human effort near, uh, nor the emperor's generosity over the placating of the gods ended the scandalous belief that the fire had been ordered by Nero, the fire in Rome, that burned Rome. Uh, therefore, to put down the rumor, Nero substituted his culprits and punished in the most unusual ways those hated for their shameful acts, um, whom the crowd called Christians. The founder of this of this name, Christ, had been uh, had been executed in the reign of Tiberius by the procurator Pont- Pontius Pilate, just like Luke said. The procurator Pontius Pilate suppressed for a time the deadly superstition erupted again, not only in Judea, the origin of this evil but also in the city Rome where all things horrible and shameful everywhere come together and become popular. So he had nothing good to say about Jesus, and yet he identifies Jesus as being this individual, the, the origin of this thing called Christianity. And then Josephus, again, his first mention uh, of Jesus, uh, I, I mentioned this one last for a reason, and that's because it's thought to have been uh, tampered with after the fact, 
as I said before, Josephus mentions nothing really positive to say about, about Jesus, and there's no indication that he was a follower of Jesus. And people came in after the fact and modified some of Josephus's um, documents and the things that were found in order to make it appear that he was a follower of Jesus, which is not the case. And so, uh, I mean, if you if you just dig in and start start researching this, there's tons and tons and tons and tons of discussion and documentation about him. Um, but based on all of the arguments and everything that I read, says that his uh, original or the original document would have read something like this. Around this time, there lived Jesus, a wise man, for he was one who did surprising deeds and a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He was over, uh, he won over many of the Jews and many of the Greeks. When Pilate, upon hearing him, accused by men of the highest standing among us, had re uh, condemned him to be crucified, those who in the first place came to love him did not give up their affection for him, and the tribe of Christians, so called after him, have still to this day not died out. And so there's all of this historical referencing of Jesus, but not only Jesus as an individual, Jesus as the one who claimed to be Christ. Mm -hmm. And so all of the things that we've said this morning point to the fact that Jesus was a real individual, that Jesus was a real individual who claimed to be the Christ, that Jesus was a real individual who as you said, turned that world upside down and continues to turn this world upside down today. There, I don't think there's much denying the fact based on all of the internal and external evidence that's presented that Jesus was uh, someone who lived on this earth and who claimed to be Christ. Right. How many attempts have there been to, on History Channel, whatever channel it may be, to, to explain who, who is Jesus, uh, who was he? And the events that took place after his death, uh, just a few days later, uh, had a lot of people asking, where is Jesus? And all the different efforts to, to attempt to uh, decide what happened to his body and all these different things. But th th he's, he's still the topic of conversation uh, all these years later. And um, there's, there's no other figure in, in history that, that that can be said about. Uh, that still is impacting the world today. Uh, I think about it even going back into the Old Testament. You think about uh, individuals uh, who worship some of those false gods that's mentioned in the Old Testament. Uh, they've they've come and gone. No one no one's still worshiping those those types of gods that are mentioned there because there was no substance. There was nothing lasting. Uh, with them, no one's even talking about them. Most probably would, wouldn't even know the names or know who they are, but but they know who who Yahweh is. They know who Jesus is. They in all of these estimates about about who he was at that time when he walked the face of the earth. And and you mentioned this in the kingdom study when when P Jesus asked Peter in Caesarea Philippi, "Who do men say that I am?" And John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, uh, and those were all compliments in in their own regard. And they had every reason to believe these things about Jesus because he was raising people from the dead and he was doing prophet-like things and he was doing all of these things that would associate him with those individuals. However, he was much more than that. And he was the Son of God, and we're going to see that as we go throughout our study. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's that's really a, a good transition point because, I mean, we've covered as best we can in a short period of time the 
the evidence that Jesus who was who he says he was. And so I think it's a good point for us to turn inward and to turn into the internal evidence that the Scriptures show us regarding him. And if we go back to the book of John and the very beginning of the book of John, we, we started out by looking at the very end of the book of John. We're going to go to the other end of it and look at the beginning of the book of John. And we're told something uh, about who Christ is. We begin to, to see something about his nature there. We're told that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And so, you know, we're going to go through and answer this question, who the Word was. Uh, so we'll get to that. But we see something about him. And there's this, this interesting statement that's made is, in the beginning. And so, you know, some people that, that don't have uh, a lot of time spent in the Scriptures might ask, well, beginning of what? <laughs> You know, what beginning is this? And this word beginning, in the beginning, means at the very first. That's what that word means. It doesn't mean the beginning of a particular place in time, but it means at the very first. It was the beginning. Um, and so that's how we would, we would say it in, in English, with the emphasis on the the, in the beginning. And we go back to... Uh, this this passage in John's definitely reminiscent of Genesis one one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so, what beginning? Well, it was the beginning of the earth, the creation of the earth. In the beginning, that's the same word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, the, um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, Jesus was there as we're going to to show and demonstrate that Jesus was that word and that he existed from the very beginning. And I find this interesting because this is a place where you see Jesus being given equity with God, that there was, um, uh, that he was not only eternal, but given equality with God and given, put on the same level, the same playing field as God. Yeah, um, and as you was talking about that, I was back there in Genesis chapter 1, and he says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and that word beginning is extremely interesting and is a study within itself. But uh, it's also, that's the same word that's used in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, that fear is the beginning of knowledge. And that's the Hebrew word reshith, which means first in order, first in place, first in time. And uh, that's always been interesting to me as you do word studies and you and I talk about words a lot and what they mean and, and how they impact our study and impact the meaning uh, of, of certain texts in the Bible. But when you think about it from that standpoint and you look at John 1, 1 in the beginning was the Word, uh, which is extremely important because it doesn't say in the beginning the Word was created. It says in the beginning was the Word. And what, does, right. that, what does that tell us about Jesus? Yeah, that... That it's got the same um, this, the same connotation, and we're going to talk about this in a, in a little while as the the eternal existence, the eternal nature of God. That that He's always in the present tense. Yes, yeah? so yeah. it's uh, uh, again, that's just the, the 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 parallels and the connections that that the scriptures give Jesus um, being relative to God are uh, are amazing. If we go over to 1 John, 
1 John 1 and 1, uh, the first three verses of 1 John 1, that which was from the beginning we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so here John has given us even deeper information about this and just unveiling us and putting it in such plain language that it starts making it hard to deny. He's saying that that Jesus is eternal, that this word was eternal, but it was made manifest in a fleshly form. It was made manifest, and it was in a form where we could see it and touch it and handle it, and Jesus was here amongst us. We witnessed these things. We were with him. We were able to touch him and hug him and, and speak to him and, and um, spend time here on this earth with him. It was that life made manifest here which existed in the beginning with God eternally that was put here for us. And so I just, I, I, that kind of gives me, gives me shivers, you know, and, and chills going down my spine that, that John is so, um, so passionate about this that he says, you know, you want to know who this word is. Well, here's the, here's who this word is. This word is God and it's God made manifest here with us. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to put in two words, uh, what that even means and just how magnificent that is to think that the the eternal the creator he says in the beginning was the word the word was with god the word was god all things were made through him and by him without him nothing was made that was made to think about the creator who created this perfect place for man that's the sinless place where there was this perfect fellowship and our sin separated us from god our sin mess that relationship up that we had for God. And then for this creator to come and live in a fleshly body and be subjected to all the things that we are subjected to in order to fix our mess is just, to me, is amazing. It's just, I can't even begin to describe how that love makes me feel to think about Jesus willingly doing that. He was not forced to do that. The, he, the father did not force the son to do this. This was a willing choice that the son made to do this. I think Philippians 2 tells us that clearly, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, that this was a choice that Jesus made to, to be this Savior and to take on this form of a servant, this fleshly body. And again, we'll get into this a little bit later on in our study, but he, he shows us what the Father looks like. He shows us God and gives us the clearest picture that we can see with our human eyes of, of some of the some of the attributes of God, his compassion, his love, and his justice, and a lot of these different things that we can relate to because we're human and we can see that and we know that he understands. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's so funny because I remember I was probably 10 years old, and I remember being in a Bible study or in my Bible class, you know, and, and it, we'd gone through the, the book, the, several of the books in the Bible, you know, and we'd got through Revelation and read that last thing, and I closed the Bible, and I says, well, what do we do now? <laughs> I said, you know, here, the teacher says, what do you mean, what do we do now? I says, well, we finished it. We finished the book. What do we do now? And he says, oh, you never finish it. 
And I didn't understand then. I was like, well, you know, every other book, you know, you finish reading it, you put it on the shelf. And here I am, 55 years old, still trying to wrap my head around the magnitude of Jesus. And it's just, it's so, like you said, hard to put into words. It's really hard to put into words just uh, the magnificence that, that he has and, and, and how all of this comes together for our benefits. And, and like you said about our sins, you know, we're going to cover that in a future episode of this podcast in answering this question, who is Jesus? We're going to talk in detail about how he takes away our sins. Nah. Uh, but it's, it's just, it's just really hard to, to, um, articulate what it is that you feel for him once you begin studying this word. And John, I appreciate the, the gospel writers and the, and the Holy Spirit inspiring these people so much because it helps to clarify this in our minds. Uh, back in the first chapter of the gospel of John, in John 1 verse 14, John tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory and the glory of the only begotten uh, of the Father— full of grace and truth. And so again, John, he mentions this over and over and over again, that Jesus came from the Father, that he was the begotten of Father, that he was made manifest from the Father, that he was um, one with the Father, and, and his grace and his truth that came from the Lord has been given to us. It's been presented to us. It's been made manifest to us, and it was here. And so it's just, it's so uh, comforting I think is a word that you said. It's so comforting to know that that was the case. Some of the consequences, uh, and I don't. I feel like I'm maybe I'm jumping around and getting getting ahead of us here in different places. And that's but, okay. But we, uh, I just we were kind of talking about Jesus and and how if if he really wasn't who he said he was, then there's just so many consequences to that. Um, and just, and, you know, we can talk about those in a few moments, but the consequences of, of his claim that he was, he was this son of God that, that he was claiming to be was, was just horrific because what it, what it led to, if it's much like the apostles later on in the book of Acts, that if they really didn't believe in Jesus and, and it was some type of hoax and it was all this, uh, you know, trickery or whatever it was then then they really put themselves out there and allowed themselves to go through a lot for something that they really didn't believe in and, and for Jesus if he really you know when he was asked are you the son of god he could have he could have denied that and escaped a lot of the things that that he was going to face because he knew what he was going to face and he was going to have to face this ridicule this being beaten and slapped and led away in chains and all these different things and whipped and just the fact that he, even if this this man that people may ex accept as a historical figure, if they, if we're going to accept that that these things happen, I, I remember reading one quote one time that this man Jesus was was put to death because of witchcraft, because the things he was doing had to be explained in some way. Uh, so he was put to death because he was doing. But but if this historical figure, even if we don't accept him as the son of God went through all of these things, and why did he allow himself to endure all of this punishment and all of this persecution and, and all of these different things when he could have he could have gotten out of that? He could have said no. Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as we, we study this, we begin to understand that it was because 
because he was there in the beginning, because he was part of the creation, because of his intense love for his creation, that he was willing to do all these things. We we try to unveil and un- uncover some of that stuff. And it's interesting that you mention his the abuse that he took while he was here, because uh, Jesus himself, uh, the next place we kind of pick up here, is with Jesus revealing himself to some people who were not treating him with um, uh, as who he was or as who he was was claiming to be. They were they were denying that fact, and he was taking some heat right from the very beginning. In John eight and verses fifty six through fifty nine, we see Jesus talking with the Pharisees, and um, when he says uh, there in verse fifty six, John eight verse fifty six. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and when he saw it, uh, and he saw it and was glad. So they're claiming to be children of Abraham. They're saying, I don't know who you're from, but we're children of Abraham. And Jesus is responding to that, saying, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was... I am. And so that was one thing that that struck them straight to the core because they understood exactly what he was saying there. They understood exactly the claim that he was making when he said that because these Pharisees would have known what was said back in Exodus 3 and the the story that was tied to that, the connection. Um, When Moses was going to be God chose Moses to lead the children of Israel uh, out of bondage in Egypt. And he gets Moses' attention through the burning bush and and brings him over and is speaking to Moses saying, you're going to be the one who does this. And Moses is trying trying to back out of the situation and come up with excuses for not doing that. But in uh, Exodus 3 and verse 14, uh, God said to Moses, or Moses is asking God, he says, you know, well, when I go back there and and say that I'm going to be doing this thing, and they're going to ask, well, who are you? And who sent you? Who told you to do this? Who gave you the authority to do this? And God responds and says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And so they would have understood that that's God's name. God's name is I am. And so when Jesus says to them before Abraham was, I am, he's claiming to be God. He's making this claim to be God. And the that name, I am, is the name that we know as Yahweh, which is spelled, you know, Y-H-W-H. And um, the, the context is interesting in there because in Exodus, that when God tells... Um, tells Moses to go back and tell them that I am sent you. What was he sending them for? He was sending him to take them out of Israel. And so his name, I am, is inherently connected in both of these contexts to salvation, to one of salvation. And so I just think it's fascinating that that the passage that Jesus chose to reveal himself to them was one where the salvation of the nation was tied to the name of God. 
And that just that just fascinates me. Uh, in Exodus six, in Exodus six uh, verses two through eight, we see that God spoke to Moses and said to him, "I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I've also uh, established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, in which uh, they were strangers." And so. There's, again, this connection to future events, even though with his name. So it's just, uh, I just, I love that. I, oh, I love yeah. the fact that that Jesus, not only does he claim to be God, but he claims to be the same God who delivered them because Jesus knew what his role was as deliverer. Well, he says in that same text in John 8, verse 51, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. And then again in 52, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. And that connection there with salvation and deliverance is, is spot on. And uh, it's interesting, the response in verse 59 is they took up stones to throw at him. Um, and and really that's, in in many regards, the same response that you see in Exodus. They didn't really take up stones, to, but they wanted to kill Moses several times, and they weren't appreciative of the deliverance that was there for them. And here is Jesus uh, revealing this this great truth. that This was gospel. He, he's preaching gospel here. This is good news. Uh, if they understood death was a certain thing for them, and here's someone who's saying, I am who I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And that's gospel. That that ought to have gotten them excited. And he's saying, if you keep my word, you will never see death. Yet these individuals in this particular context wanted to stone him to death. And uh, But again, what we see there is that he he forced those individuals there to make a make a decision about him. There was You have to make a decision about who, who is this man. Um, he made this claim. Uh, clearly, they didn't they didn't believe him here at this particular point, but you still had to make a decision to accept who he was. And, and by this point, the the evidence is, in my estimation, that their anger comes from the fact that there's so much evidence to prove that he is who he says he is. And you know as well as I do, just in life in general, when 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 we know the truth and we really don't want to accept the truth, that's when we usually get. Most angry, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and this is, I think, what we're seeing. What yeah, we're seeing here. Yeah, uh, you're you're spot on. And you know, you said this before that this is one of those those places where either Jesus is a flat liar. I mean, whether he's he's either the most abject liar that ever existed, or you have to consider the evidence that he was who he said he was, and that's the thing that seems to be so. Uh, interesting and unique about Jesus is that he demands an answer. What he presents to us, what he gives us, demands an answer. You either have to reject it or you have to accept it. And that's what was going on with the Pharisees. He was either saying, you accept me for who I am, or you're going to have to reject me. They chose to reject him. Many people chose to follow him. And there's this stark difference between those people. There's this very stark division that exists between them. And, and it happened from the time of his life, and it still is that way today. People that reject him, reject him abjectly. 
they deny him completely. And the people that accept him tend to accept him fully. And, and so it's just that's the nature, it seems, of the gospel. That's the nature of who Jesus was and who he claimed to be. Uh, and so that's a decision. That's why we're doing this podcast is so that people can open the Bible. We're giving them places that they can turn and look and, and begin study for themselves. But everyone has to come to this conclusion because there's going to come a day where we all have to answer for the choice that we made. And so... Uh, that's, back, back in chapter 7 there, he uh, there were individuals that were complaining about Jesus in, in verses 11 and 12. Uh, some said that he was a good man. Others said he deceives people. Uh, there was just all kinds of different ideas about him. But as you pointed out, that there's really no, there's no, not really, there's no gray area. He, either he was the son of God, or he was he was a fraud and he was a deceiver. Uh, you cannot you cannot paint Jesus as a good person and then turn around in the same breath and say that he was not the son of God because if he's not the son of God, then he lied multiple times absolutely and, and he was he wasn't very wise because he allowed himself to be crucified for something he could have gotten out of when he was asked are you the son of god he could have said no i'm not and he could have he could have left the situation so there's all kinds of different there, so there's really you know some things in life you do have some middle ground to work with but in regards to this question who is jesus the simple answer is he was the son of god and if he, he either was or he wasn't, and there's really no other answer. Yeah, right. That's right. Because, uh, like you said, you know, if he if if he wasn't who he said that he was, then the choices he made are crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're just they're just absolutely crazy. And the people who followed him are crazy because uh, there it doesn't stand to human reason for him to go through everything that he went through and to present himself as something that he could never substantiate only to be killed for it. Right. Uh, it doesn't, it, or to allow himself to be killed. I mean, he didn't even stop that, you know, so it, it doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense for him to perpetuate that notion and to take that to your dying breath. Uh, it either makes him, like you said, you know, crazy or the biggest liar that ever existed or to be exactly who he said he was, and I think the evidence that we've talked about presents him as who he was. I made a list of things here that it's you know he if he's not the son of God he he's not a good man he's not a prophet he's not a king he was not the Christ and some of the world religions uh, their estimate of Jesus he was he was wasn't an enlightened man he, in fact he was he was not very wise at all he was not a faith healer he was he was definitely not the messiah what he was if he was not the son of god was a liar deceiver imposter and he was not raised from the dead and what peter says and, and makes peter look really uh unwise as well and foolish when he said david's still in his tomb but god's well nothing past the death of jesus the book of acts and all the preaching of the god there's no good news there's no good news if jesus was not the son of god because he Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. He says this on several occasions. He was was based upon the fact he was willing to die because he believed he was going to be brought back to life. 
And if he wasn't going to be brought back to life, then there's no good news for yeah, us. That's right. Yeah. I'm, I mean, Paul's, that's what Paul was saying. To, right. In 1 Corinthians 15. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. If, you know, if, if Jesus didn't come back to life, then we of all people are most pitiful. Yes. Yeah, so it's so important that, that, that we understand that everyone who's, who's listening and, and everyone who would say this for themselves understands that he, there's a black and white answer here in regards to Jesus. Either he is or he is not. Absolutely. Yeah, there's no middle ground in right. this. This this is this is one of those few places in life where you can find true black and white answers. And I think that that's probably a good stopping point for this first episode. We've, we've gone uh, pretty good about that. So we'll pick up next uh, episode with the next podcast. We're going to start in that uh, episode talking about Jesus being the uh, creator and sustainer of the universe. And so until we talk to you again, God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to the Good News Bible Podcast. We welcome your questions and comments. Please direct them to gnbp at protonmail.com. That's G-N-B-P at P-R-O-T-O-N-M-A-I-L dot com. Yeah.